0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. In our first session uh, this morning, we were looking back and were reminded that God is our strength and refuge, a very present help in trouble. And in these three verses, 4 to 6, while mindful of the present, we're looking ahead. In the face of calamity, in the face of the chaos of nature, verses 2 and 3, and the chaos of the nations, verse 6, there is hope. In contrast to the waters that roar and foam, what was the name of that boat, Kevin? Globetrotter 2. And in contrast to that image, here... There is a river, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And I'm going to come back to that picture of the river in a moment. But first, I think it's worth saying a few words about the national or political chaos referenced in verse 6. The nations are in uproar, the kingdoms totter. The forces of chaos are a constant threat to the world in every age. And it's important that we remember, and the psalmist has us recall, that the Lord is our refuge, that God has and will completely overcome and conquer the chaos. We see that in the very first verse of the Bible, in the very beginning. In the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. Or in other words, there was chaos. And into the chaos, God brings order and speaks and brings forth life. And we hardly need reminding of the continued presence of chaos in the natural world. Volcanoes, earthquakes, forest fires, floods, rising sea levels, hurricanes, oh yes, and pandemics. We hardly need reminding either of the continued presence of chaos in the nations, whether at home or abroad. Wars, terrorist attacks, riots, discrimination, injustice, poverty, genocide, persecution. The psalmist tells us, however, that we can have confidence in the face of both natural threats and national threats. God's creation of Israel... A people, chosen, called, beloved, is all about bringing order out of that kind of chaos. That was true politically. God conquered Pharaoh and redeemed his people, and there's so much more we could say about that. And then physically today, we can see on our screens the the images of that volcano in the Canary Isles. Have you seen that on La La Palma? Extraordinary, the lava literally flowing into the sea. Just like the psalmist is talking about. And we see too evidence of nations and kingdoms and all the human forces that threaten chaos also slipping into the sea. How how shocking and and heart rending and mind bending to see Kabul in Afghanistan fall to the Taliban in what, ten days? More widely, though, when we look through the lens of history, because I'm going to be looking back and forward and, you know, whatever. Um, If you you look through the lens of history, we know that every empire the world has ever known has, well, fallen. There have been lots of empires in history. To name a few, there's the ancient Chinese empire that lasted for more than 1,300 years until 221 B.C., followed by more than 2,000 years of imperial China. There's the Persian Empire, 550 BC, for 200 years. The Roman Empire, 27 BC, for 500 years. The Ottoman Empire from the late 13th century for 600 years. The British Empire, needs an honorable mention, um, (laughs) uh, from the late 16th century for more than 100 years the Russian Empire, 200 years of that from 1721, and dare I say it, the United States for the last 150 years or so, while not fallen and still militarily the world's most powerful nation, some would say that the U.S. could one day, sooner or later, become another in that long line of what the psalmist calls... Tottering kingdoms. Well, in contrast to the chaos of the nations and cities of the world, the psalmist speaks in verse 4 of another city, the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High, verse 5. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. So what is this city? The psalmist may have had in mind Zion, the royal city of Jerusalem, though interestingly the author doesn't mention either Zion or Jerusalem by name. There is another city that is connected and related, of course, and may also have been on the psalmist's mind, and that's the eschatological or future city that the prophet Ezekiel spoke of in Ezekiel chapter 47. And And it's there that in the scriptures we first see this wonderful picture of the river. And I want to read you a chunk from Ezekiel 47. And this is the prophet Ezekiel writing about what God showed him in a dream, in a vision. Listen up. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There water was flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, but the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me round to the outside, to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And the water was coming out on the south side. Going on eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits and then led me through the water. And it was, it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was up to the waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that couldn't be crossed. He said to me, mortal, have you seen this? Then... He led me back along the bank of the river, and as I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, "Though this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, and when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh wherever the river goes. Every living creature that swarms will live, and there'll be very many fish. Once these waters reach there, it will become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. And we encounter this river again in Scripture, in the very end of Scripture, in Revelation 22. Let me read to you just five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is our hope. This is what we have to look forward to. There is a river flowing from God. It was actually this passage from Revelation that lies behind the third phrase of Ascension's mission statement, I wonder, do we know Ascension's mission statement? Let's just see. A something community. What is it? A worshipping community. Equipping God's people. Okay, well, we've got a bit of work to do. but yeah. So it is um, a worshipping community. Say it back to me. Equipping God's people. Sharing Christ's Healing with a Broken World. I'd been reading this passage from Revelation while on a silent and rather bleak and cold uh, personal retreat. It was 16 years ago. It was November of 2005. I went to stay in one of those, well, they call them hermitages. It's really a hut. Gene Cohn loves them. Um, it, it's, um, it's, it's a Roman Catholic retreat center in Coriopolis. And, and I, I went there. Um, kind of out of duty more than anything else. Um, and I was particularly conscious of the need to wait on God, to take time to come into his presence, to have a sailor without distraction or inter- interruption. So I arrived, and I, I was quiet, I was still, I waited, and I felt absolutely miserable. The, the first six hours of silence, fasting, and solitude were frankly awful. I, I'm just not very good at retreats. I, I, I believe in them, and I've been practicing them for years, but I'm just not a natural I'm much more comfortable doing than being. I tend to prefer, this has come as no surprise, I prefer talking to listening. (laughs) But in the cold, surrounded literally by falling snow, in a place that was very quiet and still, something began to happen within me. I became very conscious, actually, surprisingly, because it was not what I was expecting. I came conscious of the need to confess my own sin, my own selfishness in a whole number of areas. And there followed, frankly, an exhausting time of crying out to God, crying quite literally, confessing my sins, seeking his forgiveness. And I spent time worshiping and praying and then kind of collapsed into bed exhausted. The next morning after a good night's sleep, I I had something to eat and I, I I prayed the daily office and I did morning prayer and found the scriptures and the canticles speaking right into my sense of yearning for a sense of direction for ascension. I was pretty new back then. I'd been, I'd been at ascension not, not two years. And various things kept leaping off the pages of the prayer book and the Bible. By the way, the prayer book and the Bible are similar in that most of the prayer book is the Bible. But anyway, um, the Bible is more important, but yeah. But the appointed epistle reading for that day was this passage from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And this picture of the trees on either side and the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. And I remembered then that one of the themes that had come up six months before on a vestry staff retreat. Um, which was our sense that one of the things that ascension was and was increasingly called to be was to be a place of healing, to share Christ's healing with a broken world. And so once again today, this great Psalm 46 reminds us that the task of pointing people to Jesus, the task of bringing healing and hope is still ours today. Not only as we look to the future when Christ will return, when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, when the city of God will be among people in an altogether new way, but also now. In Christ, the future breaks into the present. And in the refrain of verse 7, it, it, we see it declared, The Lord of hosts is with us. Who is the Lord of hosts? God. The one who is our strength and refuge. The one who is a very present help in trouble. He is the source of life. He is the source of healing. He is the one who drives out fear and chaos and brings peace and justice. No matter the chaos in nature or the chaos among the nations, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. If you uh, turn to the back of your Bulletins, verse 7 or 11, say it together. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Why, Jacob? I mean, he's hardly the figure in the Bible about whom we would be the proudest. The story of Jacob is a story of betrayal and cheating and all sorts of bad behavior. Jacob's family is fraught with crises and drama, deceptions and frauds, and all kinds of other stuff that, you know, is rated R. Commentator Michael Wilcox writes, condense it, speaking of the life of Jacob, condense it it into 147 half-hour episodes and you have the mother of all soap operas. But, you know, given that Psalm 46's refrain speaks of the God of Jacob, I thought we might take a little selah, not of silence this time, but of reflection on the life of Jacob. A pause. To think about Jacob and his story and what we see of the working of the God of Jacob. So we're going to have a 20-question pop quiz um, on the life and times of Jacob. So get ready. You can shout out the answers. Here we go. Who were Jacob's grandparents and parents? Abraham and Sarah. Isaac Isaac and Rebecca. Very good. Uh, Who was Jacob's twin brother? Esau. Esau. Who was born first? Esau. Esau. How did Jacob get won over his brother? Two things. He cheated. How? Well, before dressed up like his brother, what was the first? The stew. Yes, it's all about the stew. He, he, he sold, got his brother to give up his birthright as the firstborn because he was starving, hungry, having been out in the fields hunting for a bowl of soup. And then the second time, who did he trick? His father. For what? Indeed. Okay, so what did Jacob do after tricking his dying father? He ran away. Where did he go to? He went to his uncle Laban's house in a place called. Hmm. Haran. Very good. What happened on the way? He had a dream. Where? Bethel. Bethel. Uh, actually, that's the name Jacob gave to this place after the dream. What was its original name? This is for uh, bonus twenty. Luz. And Luz, L-U-Z. It's not a sword drill, no. I know about sword drills. Those I did them growing up. Used to win prizes. Uh, we'll have to have a have a go uh, later, Bishop. Um, <laughs> Okay, so what happened in Jacob's dream? A ladder. What's going on on the ladder? Angels. Angels, What are they doing? Up and down. Okay. And the Lord stood next to him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying will be given to you and your offspring, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. Okay, let's just say that refrain again, verse 7 or 11 of Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Okay, question number nine. When he gets to Uncle Laban's house, what happens? He meets a girl. The girl's name is? Mm, What does he think of Rachel? He likes her. (laughs) Jacob works for his uncle for about a month. And then Laban, Uncle Laban says, Hey, you shouldn't have to work for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. What does Jacob ask for? Rachel. in return for seven years of work. Now, we, we won't get distracted with the idea of chattels and all of that. But anyway, this is just, I'm just telling you what the story is. Okay, ver- uh, question 12. What happened after the seven years were up? He was tricked yeah, by whom? By, by his uncle Laban. What happens? Yeah, he passes off his other daughter, Leah, and, uh, his, yeah, other, or, um, older daughter, Leah, in marriage. And Jacob, to cut a long story short, Jacob ends up marrying both of them, which is another whole thing we're not going to get into, um, and uh, works another seven years. And, that seven years is marked by barrenness, jealousy, sleeping with Rachel's maid to try and get a son that wasn't from Leah, who he didn't ever want to be with in the first place. It was a total family nightmare, a miserable mess. Eventually, however, Rachel becomes pregnant and gives birth to whom? To Joseph. You're good. Well, eventually, Joseph, um, Jacob flees Uncle Laban's house at Haram with his very large family, two wives, two maids with benefits, and 11 sons and masses of sheep to head for home. Uh, it's all in the Bible. I just, I'm, just, I'm not making this up. And, and on the way, he sends messengers ahead to try and appease his brother because he's very frightened of running into Esau again for obvious reasons. Well, on the way, he has a rather weird encounter with a strange person near the ford of Jabbok and he wrestles this person all night long and the person he wrestles with ends up putting Jacob's hip out of joint. At daybreak, the other man tells Jacob to let him go and Jacob refuses and says, not unless you bless me. The man then tells Jacob he's going to have a new name. What is his new name? Israel. Israel. Israel, formerly known as Jacob, then asked the other man for his name, but he won't give it. Instead he tells him, you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Jacob called the place... This is a bonus point. Yeah, who said that? Stacy Regan gets extra candy. Uh, that He calls the place Panuel, which means... Anyone know what panuel means? No. Nope. No. Nope. The face of God. And because he's and Jacob said I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. Well the next day he meets his brother Esau. What happened? Yes. Thank you. Thank you Ardith. Esau gives him a big hug. He is thrilled to see him. He keeps sending on ahead all these kind of gifts and all these sheep and all these people. And and then, you know, at the back of the crowd, Esau's there longing to see his brother. Amazing. He's thrilled to see him. Well, anyway, uh, eventually Jacob arrives at Bethel, where he'd had that first dream, and he settles there for a time. And after a while, he then sets off again, heading for Ephrath. Rachel gets pregnant again and gives birth. What's the baby's name? And what happens to Rachel? Yeah, the baby's name is Benjamin and Rachel dies in childbirth. Question 17. Who was, Jacob had 12 sons, who was his favorite? Joseph. Joseph Joseph is hated by his brothers. Uh, Joseph has all sorts of dreams. Joseph is not terribly wise in how he shares these dreams. (laughs) Joseph is probably a brat. Anyway, eventually Joseph is sold uh, by his uh, brothers to some passing slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph gets carted off to Egypt where he's bought by an army captain. And things don't go too well for Joseph. What happens to him? Yep, he get, he's falsely accused and he gets thrown into jail. He's... he's, he's falsely accused by his master's wife of hitting on her, which he wasn't. It was the other way round. Anyway, eventually, after interpreting dreams of a couple of cellmates, he's noticed by Pharaoh and put in charge of the whole land. What does Joseph do in Pharaoh's household? Well, everything, yes, but he had a particular goal. Yes, he was saving them from the famine to come and he stored up all this grain ready well, a huge famine comes on the land. This is the last, last section here. Um, and meanwhile, Joseph's family are suffering and running out of food. Old Jacob, remember this is still part of the story of Jacob, sends his sons, but not the youngest, Benjamin, to go to Egypt to buy food. And when they come before Joseph, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him, understandably. Joseph then accuses them of being spies and wants to test them to see whether they're going to be honest or not. So Joseph tells them they must leave one brother behind and return home to get the youngest brother, Benjamin, bring him back. Poor Jacob freaks out when his sons arrive home and tell the tale. After much hand-wringing, Jacob agrees to let them return to Egypt with Benjamin. And to cut a long story short, Joseph, when they get there, Joseph plants his own silver cup inside Benjamin's sack and sends them on their way but as soon as they've left the city people come after them they haul them back and they find the cup and they're charged with theft and the eldest brother whose name is Reuben pleads for Benjamin's life bit of a contrast to what they'd done to Joseph and eventually Joseph just can't hold it all in. He can't keep his new identity a secret and he just bursts into tears and um, there are hugs again, a big party, and uh, off they go back to dad. And as they go, Joseph says, don't quarrel on the way. Jacob and all the family, hordes of them, hordes of them, resettle in Egypt and survive the famine. Jacob lives another 17 years in Egypt before he dies And right before he dies, he gathers his sons together and he blesses them one by one. And his body is then taken back to the land of Canaan for burial. And when the family return to Egypt, Joseph's brothers are what? They're afraid. Why? Yeah, dad has died and they know what they did to Joseph. They are very frightened that Joseph might want his revenge. And they approach Joseph. They beg for his forgiveness for all they'd done in the past. And here's the last question. What does Joseph say to his brothers? Yeah, do not be afraid. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You can read the details of that wonderful, uh, riveting story in Genesis chapter 25 to 50. I, I highly commend it. It's um, about 35 pages in your Bible, and the, and the story spans a little over 100 years. But what about your life? Last Sunday, I preached on James 4, and we were reminded in there of James's warning not to get too sure of ourselves boasting about what we'll do this year or next, and the, the pandemic has helped us in this. Um, we don't even know what tomorrow will bring, never mind what will happen next year. But James asked this question also. What is your life? Last night, we paused to look at 12 hours of the day past with the outline of the clock, those of you who are here. And earlier this morning, Kevin uh, had us take another selah, another time to pause, not to look at the past 12 hours, but to look back over the previous 12 to 18 months. Well, we've done 12 hours, we've done 12 months. I think it's time we did all of our life, from birth to death, to think about our lifespan. Psalm 90, we read, the days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Some of you may know it in the King James Version, Three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years. But in Psalm 90, the psalmist asks, So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. According to the Bible, then, our life expectancy is 70 to 80 years. Not much has changed over the past many thousands of years. It's still that today. According to the latest statistics published by the CDC in February this year, the life expectancy in the US, which recently has fallen, for the whole population without adjusting for race, ethnicity, or gender is what? Do you know what it is? No, it's a bit more than that. It's 77.8. So that means if you're born this year, your statistical life expectancy is 77.8. If you've made it to 30 then your life expectancy goes up to 79.2. If you're 40, it's 80. If you're now 50, it's 81. If you're now 60, it's 82.9. And if you're now 70, it's 85.5. If you're 80, it's 89.3. And if you're 85, it's 91.8. Well, I'm 59, so according to the statistics, my life expectancy would appear to be about 81. Now, I'm not going to push that. My doctor's here. He may have other things to say. But, um, you know, I I like to think of my life in four quarters with extra time. So there's 0 to 20, uh, 21 to 40, 41 to 60, 61 to 80, and then there's extra time. So 0 to 20 is my... Childhood, in the biggest sense of the world, it's about growing up and being, getting an education, becoming an adult. And then 21 to 40 is, let's just call it, younger adult life. Maybe some further education, some work, marriage for some, family for some, or wondering about those things. And then 41 to 60, middle adult life, I'll call it. So if you're 41, that means you're definitely middle-aged. Get over it. Um, so y- your, your career starts to be established. Maybe there's extra responsibilities. Maybe you're, if you have children, you're helping them grow up. And, and, and towards the end of that, that bracket, the third quarter, maybe there's an empty nest and things like that. And then if you are 61 to 80, well, let's just call that older adult life. And I won't say anything rude Um, But just to notice, you know, that may mean for some... And again, these quarters are arbitrary. And the first half of each might be different from the second half of each. But, you know, it might lead for some as they grow older to ending full-time paid employment. Maybe that thing called retirement. It may mean there's more time for mentoring or passing on of wisdom. And then if you're 81 and over, and some here are, which is wonderful... You're in extra time. And you know that might be marked by certain things. There might be a, a, a diminution in your health and strength. You might be less physically active. You might have more time to pray. Well, I want us to do an exercise on this um, we'll do it on your own and then we'll just have a few minutes together. And like with all these things, there's never enough time, right? There wasn't enough time last night. There's not enough time this morning. That's okay. This is a taster. It's an hors d'oeuvre. You can take these ideas away and, and take time to do them with the Lord. Um, and so uh, it, could I have some volunteers to pass out the, um, the four quadrants? Here they are. So you've got your childhood, younger adult, middle adult, older adult, and extra time. And in the middle, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. And there are three questions that I want you to think about. I want you to put in these quadrants, the big rocks in your life. So if you're looking back, this will be actual events. And if you're looking forward, because you haven't reached this age group yet, you're going to be putting things that you might be hoping for. And as you then, having done that, so fill in the boxes pretty quickly, and then you're going to note where you've seen God was with you, just like a bit like we did um, in the other exercises, or where you've experienced his strength. Then looking forward, note where you're fearful, or what you would ask of God. So if you're younger, three of these quadrants might not have anything concrete in them because you haven't reached 21 yet. But what are your longings? What are you hoping for in your 30s? Is it for a relationship is it for work related is it is it you know and as you look back if you're older you might find things that have been big rocks that have been times of great sadness great loss in all kinds of ways well just write it down put it there notice it all right i'm going to stop talking i'm going to give you 10 minutes to do this and then just a couple of minutes to turn to the person next to you but I'll, i'll keep watch on the clock